Well, I wonder, have you ever wanted to fly? All right, good. So, so are there some folks out there, you grew up, you thought, if I could just do that like Superman, I would be set. Well, you know, I grew up like a lot of kids, had those superheroes that I wanted to be like. And I remember I was so convinced that I could do it like Superman. Well, I won't tell you about the time I tried to be Condor Man and jumped off of a deck. That wasn't very pretty. But with Superman, I knew you had to have the special cape. And so uh, my, I had a friend that was over, and we were playing one afternoon, and we got a little bored. And I said, hey, would you like to fly? Because, you see, I know the local clown, Joy the Clown, that does all the magic tricks. And I bet he's got a Superman cape. And so my friend got pretty excited, as did I. And, I mean, I was serious. This is what I thought we'd be doing in the afternoon, flying. And so I went to my mom and said, Mom, you need to take us to go see Joy the Clown. And she asked why, and I said, because I'd, I need to get a cape from him. And she inquired more, and so I finally had to confess why. And she, she had to break it to me. And Superman was, uh, was, was not real. That There was no cape that I would be able to get, and so I was, I was crushed. But I thought, I need to find a new superhero, someone who is real. And I thought about the Bible studies that I heard, the Bible stories that I heard growing up. And I thought, now Jesus, he's real and he can do a lot of neat things. And I started thinking about all the things that Jesus could do. And I thought, you know, Jesus can walk on the water. And I thought that that would be the neatest thing in the world. Now, have any of you thought about that? You'd like to walk on water? Okay, not too many. I see a few head nods. Yeah, I know it would be neat, wouldn't it? Because I grew up near a lake and we would go water skiing and I thought how much I could impress my friends. I finished skiing, not falling, of course, but just letting go because I'm done. Taking my ski off, popping up out of the water and then walking to the boat. All my friends in utter awe. Wow, he walks on water. <laughs> Do you really believe that Jesus walked on water? All right. Got some participation out there. So you really do believe Jesus walked on water? Okay, why? Because the Bible says so. Okay, do you really believe that Peter, now we're talking about a mere man, we're talking about a sinful man, do you believe that Peter walked on water? Okay, and why? Because God's word says so. We believe it because God's word is true. Now, I realize that some of you here this morning, you may not be Christians. You, you may think of the Bible uh, as just an, an interesting book, archaic, but, uh, but not really anything too special. And my hope for you is that you would have an encounter with Jesus Christ that would be so radical that your heart would become convinced that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that his word is true. But I want to go back to Jesus and Peter walking on water for a moment. We have no problem believing this because God's word is true. Well, what does God's word have to say about the spiritual forces of evil? Okay, now there's a topic that doesn't come up every day in our conversations. In fact, much of the time, I don't even like to think about this reality. In, in many ways, if I had had my choice, I might have just moved past our passage this morning. Let's go for another healing or 
Maybe Jesus walking on water. I, I like those stories. But, but this is where we are in God's Word. A place where we are dealing with the spiritual forces of evil. Now, we're going to be in Mark in just a second, but I know many of you are familiar with these words. The Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil. Do we really believe God's word? Well, I bring this up because today we come to a passage in Mark, as I've mentioned, where we are confronted with these spiritual forces, where we come face to face with the reality of Satan. And we also see that Jesus can take him down. That Satan cannot stand toe-to-toe with Jesus. In Mark chapter 3, we encounter the king who conquers evil. And that brings us to our text this morning, Mark chapter 3, verses 20 to 30. Uh, If you're using one of the Pew Bibles, it's found on page 838. Let's take a moment to pray before we hear God's word. Almighty God, we come to you today and we ask once again that you would do a work in our hearts, that you would convince us more and more that your word is true, that your gospel is real, that you would change us. And so please open our hearts to your word, your word to us that we might see and believe and proclaim the good news. And in doing all this to bring you honor and glory. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now hear the word of God from Mark chapter 3, verses 20 through 30. Then Jesus went home and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul. By the prince of demons, he casts out demons. And Jesus called them to himself and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly, I say to you, All sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they had said, he has an unclean spirit. 
This is the word of God. Well, to help us hear God's word this morning, I want us to consider two very simple, two very basic questions about this text. What's going on here and why does it matter? What's going on and why does it matter? So first, what in the world is going on in this passage? Well, Mark sets the scene for us, and he does this by pulling out his remote control. He's got over on his wall his large flat-screen HD TV, and he pushes a button, and there's the split screen. You know the split screen? You get to watch two channels at the same time. It is great for March Madness. Well, having just told of Jesus' calling of the Twelve and introducing the king's new community, Mark gives us a glimpse of Jesus' birth family on screen number one. Screen number one, verse 20. Then Jesus went home and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went to seize him, for they were saying he is out of his mind. Well, then on screen number two, we get a glimpse of the religious leaders sent from the Jewish headquarters to discredit Jesus. Verse 22. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons he casts out demons. So on screen number one, we have Jesus portrayed by his family as a madman. And then over on screen number two, Jesus portrayed by the religious leaders As a bad man. But do you believe everything that you see on TV? Well, Mark doesn't. And so on his remote, he pushes another button and he zooms in. He takes us into this religious scene for a closer work at Jesus, who speaks to the religious leaders in parables. But before we look at what is Jesus' first parable, before we look at it, why does Jesus tell this parable to begin with? Well, let's take a look at what surrounds this parable for a moment. Just move the parable out of the way. way. Look at Mark's narration immediately before and immediately after. So, verse 23 and then immediately down to verse 30. Verse 23, And Jesus called them to himself and spoke to them in parables. Why? Verse 30, For they had said, He has an unclean spirit. Jesus tells the parable, Because the religious leaders have said that he has an unclean spirit. Now I want you to note something here. The religious leaders believe in evil spirits. Jesus himself does not rebuke them for their belief in the demonic. He doesn't say hogwash. No, there is no such thing. No, Jesus rebukes the religious leaders for attributing evil to him. Well, through Jesus' parable, Mark invites us to go beyond Hollywood and into the truth of the unseen spirit world. And in doing so, Jesus challenges us to face the reality of the spiritual forces of evil. So let's pick up with Jesus' parable, verse 23. How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. 
And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Through this parable, Jesus is exposing the flawed reasoning behind the religious leader's criticism. Their accusation is logically incoherent. Satan can't drive out Satan. A kingdom divided cannot stand. A house divided cannot stand. If the devil is opposing himself, he is coming to an end. Well, Satan has not risen up against himself. But Jesus has risen up against Satan. And Satan's kingdom is coming to an end. The stronger man has arrived and the strong man's house is being plundered. The king has come. The kingdom of God is at hand. You see, Jesus is the stronger man who has come to bind Satan and plunder his house. As Sinclair Ferguson puts it, Jesus has come to destroy the influence of the strong man, Satan, on people's lives and restore them to their family fellowship with God. Jesus has come into the house of the prince of this world to set the captives free. The stronger man or the strongest man has come to take down the strong man, to set the captives free, to release the prisoners from bondage. Now, I want you to think for a moment of the good shepherd in Psalm 23. Though his rod and his staff, they comfort me, he uses them to beat down and punish Satan. Friends, this is our God, a conquering king. Last week, we looked at the new community, the new family of faith. Well, Jesus is the head of our household. Jesus is the one who reigns over our new community. Now, do you remember back when you were a kid and you had those conversations like, my dad can beat up your dad? Oh, no. My dad can beat up your dad. Well, friends, Jesus will take down anybody who comes after his family. And it's at this moment that I get excited and I begin to have visions of Rambo and Ninja Warriors. But no. That's not how it is. You see, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. You see, his rod and his staff would be formed into a cross on which he would die. Dying the death that should be ours. Jesus binds the strong man by being bound himself. It's the great gospel paradox. Jesus defeats the prince of demons and death itself by dying. And then as we'll celebrate in just three weeks' time on Easter Sunday, Resurrection Day, death could not hold him. Death could not keep its hold on Jesus. And so the strong man's greatest weapon, death, was overcome by Jesus. And Mark tells us this, Because he's referencing back hundreds of years earlier, prophecy 
and, and showing us through Jesus' parable that Jesus is the stronger man. For it says in Isaiah 49, Can plunder be taken from the strong? Or the captives of a tyrant be rescued? For thus says the Lord, Even the captives of the strong shall be taken, and plunder retrieved from the tyrant. I will contend with those who contend with you, and I will save your children. Then all mankind will know that I, the Lord, am your Savior, your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Mark shows us that Jesus is the divine warrior king who conquers evil and rescues his people. Well, that's what's going on in the passage. But why does it matter? Why does it matter? Well, first, it matters eternally where you stand in relation to this king and his kingdom. Verse 27 makes clear that Jesus has not come to compromise. Jesus does not hold the value of tolerance on his flag. He has not come to coexist with other spiritual forces. One more God among many. No, Jesus has come to conquer them. And then we come to verses 28 and 29. And Jesus draws a line in the sand. Verse 28 and 29. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. Okay, I have just read one of those verses that freaks a lot of people out. Verse 29, a verse that sent one of my friends in college spiraling. Good friend of mine reading through his Bible, been a Christian for a while, came across this verse and it sent him spiraling into fear and anxiety. Have I done that? Have I blasphemed the Holy Spirit? And it was crippling for him. But what we have here, friends, is a warning, not a condemnation. In fact, we have a warning and a promise. Because this verse is not meant as a cause for anxiety, wondering whether or not you accidentally committed the unpardonable sin and have no idea that you did it. Remember, Jesus directs his comments at those standing in opposition to him. Attributing an evil spirit to him. Hear this, this paraphrase of verse 29, and, and maybe this will help a little. I'm warning you. If you persist in your slanders against God's Holy Spirit, you are repudiating the very one who forgives, sawing off the branch on which you're sitting, severing by your own perversity all connection with the one who forgives. In the words of Ben Witherington, what Jesus is talking about is not an accidental sin, but a willful perversity which caused the work of God's Spirit, the work of the devil. You see, to reject Jesus is to reject the saving activity of God. And that is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Jesus is Lord, Savior, Redeemer, 
king. He is the mighty one, the king who conquers all. To deny this is to stand in opposition to him. To deny this is to stand with the spiritual forces of evil and thus against the Holy Spirit. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Now, you've heard the gospel before. You know that apart from Jesus, there is no forgiveness of sins. But we not only have a warning, and it's a warning that we should heed, but we also have a promise. The good news is found in the promise of verse 28. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. You see, with Jesus, there is forgiveness of all sins. Plain and simple, with Jesus, there is forgiveness of all sins. Not standing against him, coming to him, being embraced by him, trusting him, forgiveness for all sins. And I remember, I remember when my friend in college came to this realization. I remember when the light went on and those shackles fell off and the joy and the celebration and the peace because he knew that in Jesus he had the forgiveness of sins. And that, my friends, is beautiful news. Jesus is the mighty one who saves. Well, he not only saves us from our sin, but he also continually defends and delivers us from the attacks of Satan and his demonic army. And that's another reason why all this matters. You see that for those who are aligned with the king, his people, his church, we are constantly under attack by the spiritual forces of evil. Do you believe this? Remember Paul's words in Ephesians 6. He did not say, we once struggled, past tense, no, but that we struggle. We wrestle, present tense. We wrestle against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil. Okay, is it feeling a little heavy? A few words about spiritual warfare before we move on. If you have never read the great little book by C.S. Lewis, The Screwtape Letters, I recommend it to you. It is a a great book, and in that book as well as in his book, Mere Christianity, he addresses the reality of spiritual warfare. And C.S. Lewis, very helpful, points out two extremes that people in the church tend toward. Now, The one extreme is those who are fixed on spiritual warfare. I mean, they are looking for a demon under every chair, under every bush, under every pulpit. There is a demon everywhere, and you better watch out. And they're so fixed on that, on the spiritual warfare, that it's hard to have their eyes fixed on Jesus. Now, I don't think that that extreme characterizes most of us in this church. However, the other extreme, 
uh, may come a little bit closer to home. You see, the other extreme that C.S. Lewis points out is that there are those who deny. And if they don't deny, they just they ignore the reality of spiritual warfare. It's a little uncomfortable, and it just seems a little weird, so I will, I will just leave that over there. I'll give it a head nod because God's Word says something about it, but it's just too eerie. Well, Lewis gives a helpful corrective. He notes that what we need to do is we need to acknowledge that God's Word is true, that God's Word speaks to us of the reality of spiritual warfare, And then we need to pray. We need to pray about it, and we need to look to Jesus. We don't need to be freaked out about it, and we don't need to run from it. But we recognize it, we pray about it, and we focus on Jesus. Now, there are some places in the world where spiritual warfare is much more apparent. And there are other places, like Williamsburg, where I would say spiritual warfare is much more subtle. But it is very real nonetheless. J.I. Packer notes that Satan's army of demons often uses subtle strategies, namely deception and discouragement. Deception and discouragement. Packer goes on to say, Satan should be taken seriously, for malice and cunning make him fearsome, yet not taken so seriously as to, provide, as to provoke abject terror of him, for he is a bound and beaten enemy. Satan is stronger than we are, but as we've seen in Mark 3, Jesus is stronger than Satan. Jesus is the king who conquers. And I love the way the Westminster Shorter Catechism puts it, uh, one of the statements of faith for our church tradition. As our king... Christ brings us under his power, rules and defends us, and restrains and conquers all his and all our enemies. Did you hear that? That's good news. As our king, he rules and defends us and restrains and conquers all our and all all his and all our enemies. Thus, we must continually look to Jesus for deliverance. And one of the primary ways that we look to Jesus is through prayer. One German theologian puts it like this. Prayer is faith turned to God. Prayer is faith turned to God. But do we often pray with God's deliverance in mind? Do we ask him to deliver us from the spiritual forces of evil? If we were to go on in Ephesians 6, we would see prayer is mentioned more than any other weapon in the fight against spiritual warfare. But I also want to take you back for just a moment. Think back to the Lord's Prayer. Jesus teaches us to pray, deliver us from evil or deliver us from the evil one. And so we should. And, you know, sometimes we pray this prayer out of fear. And we'll talk about fear in just a moment. But we can always pray this prayer out of confidence as well. You see, prayer is a declaration of God's strength. Prayer is participation in God's power. As Martin Luther says, through prayer, 
We share in the almightiness of God. Through prayer, we share in the almightiness of God. Well, back to the story of Jesus and Peter walking on water. One of my favorite stories, Matthew 14. And you remember the scene. Jesus calls Peter out on the water. And he calls him out as a, as a test to prove and to improve his faith. For God's commitment to Peter, God's commitment to us is to conform us into the image of Jesus. To grow our faith, to grow our trust in him, that we would be refined. And so, like gold that's tested in fire, you know, gold is, is put into fire to reveal its quality. And then to burn out the impurities and to, and to refine it. Like gold that is tested in fire, the quality of Peter's trust was being revealed and refined. Well, as you know, Peter looks out to Jesus. Jesus calls him to take that step of faith. And Jesus steps out of the boat, and looking at Jesus, he walks towards him on the water. He trusts Jesus at his word. But what happens next? Peter sees something. Peter loses sight of Jesus and sees something else. Do you know what Peter sees next? Anyone? The water? That's what I thought too. He sees the waves. They're about to crash down on him. No, that's not the word that Matthew uses. Peter sees the wind. Matthew uses the word wind, not waves. Peter sees something unseen. You see what's going on here? The evil one is speaking just like he did as the serpent in the garden. In Peter's heart and mind, he hears the lies, the deception, the discouragement. Peter, you are not worthy. You cannot do this. That is Jesus or Peter. This is water. There is a storm. You will drown. Do not trust Jesus. And test becomes temptation. And so Peter is filled with fear rather than faith, and he begins to sink. The spiritual forces are taking him down. Now, can you relate to the fear that was gripping Peter? When you see the waves, or rather you see the wind, and it just seems too great. Does fear ever hold you in its grip? I know it does for me. So many times when I find myself fearful, I either try to ignore it, or I try to give myself a pep talk. Maybe I need to go... Maybe I'll go to sleep, I'll have a good night's rest, I'll wake up and it'll be better tomorrow. Maybe I'll look in the mirror, I'll self-talk myself of all the good things I should be thankful for. Somehow, I've got to get rid of this fear. But how often do I not ask for deliverance? Now, Jesus does not say that every struggle is due to spiritual warfare. No. In fact, much of what we deal with, much of our struggles... It's because of the consequences of sin. We live in a broken and a fallen world. But at the same time, spiritual warfare is real. But the good news is the spiritual forces of evil do not have the last word. 
there are those times when you're tempted to believe that fear in your heart. And maybe it's fear about your job or a relationship, something to do with your family or friends. Maybe it's about your finances or your health. In his fear, Peter cries out to Jesus. He cries out simple words, Lord, save me. In other words, he summarizes the last petition of the Lord's Prayer. Deliver us from evil. And Jesus rescues him. Just like Peter, the evil one often whispers discouragement, distraction, and doubt into our hearts. We see the wind and we begin to sink. But Jesus is there to rescue us. Jesus will not let us drown. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. And let me conclude with these beautiful words from Martin Luther. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us. We will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fail him. And that one little word is the most powerful name In the whole universe. Jesus. Jesus. And so we continually look to him for deliverance. Because he is the king who conquers. Please pray with me. Oh God, you are a mighty fortress for us. And we come to you this day. And we pray, as Jesus has taught us, deliver us from evil. We thank you that you are the king who conquers. And that you are doing a work of faith, growing us even right now. Lord, we entrust ourselves to you. That we would look to you, the powerful name of Jesus. In whose name we pray, amen.